0: house: I created the commission to protect the way this family provides for itself how it protects the land well isn't ill doing the same thing the exact same thing unfortunately for him what's good for his way of life is not good for ours what about right and wrong no such thing can't think that way You can only think about what's good for this ranch, what's good for your family. That's it. Then you use their rules to do it.
1: Welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of 1923, a prequel series to Yellowstone. This is Caroline.
2: And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing the penultimate episode of season one of 1923. Hopefully they don't screw us and they actually give us a season two <laughs> or else this is just the penultimate episode of 1923. <laughs> this episode was it's called serious. The Rule of 500. Tonight's episode was was written by the vet. Taylor Sheridan, and once again, directed by Ben Richardson. Ben has directed so many episodes of this show in 1883 and Yellowstone. He is he is a go-to guy. So they, they brought in the veteran crew.
1: Just a community note, please join us on Facebook in Yellowstone 1923, 1883, and the Four Sixes discussion and news group to discuss 1923 and the whole universe of Yellowstone shows
2: and also a reminder that we assume you have watched this episode and so we're not going to be doing a step-by-step recap of the episode and also if you don't want to be spoiled you should pause go watch the episode then come back and listen because we're going to be deep diving into all of it we get excited here for the penultimate episodes <laughs> it's my favorite time of year it's like christmas comes the second <laughs> the second to last the last second to last episode of any show so
1: michael marie what in the champagne on a prostitutes ass did i watch this week
2: <laughs> if you had <laughs> sex worker what? licking the ass of another sex worker while banner watched on on your bingo card then you've got a freaky deaky bingo card because that is not on my bingo card that is on not on my network tv or oh anything God. less than games of thrones level esque cable show bingo card wow
1: seriously i mean okay so this is the penultimate episode i know we're table setting i know we're getting everyone where they need to be in order to have our big finale there were some moments in this episode that Took me aback. I mean, I felt like this was an episode of extremes in a, a lot of different ways. Some of them very over the top, sexual. Some of them very wholesome and sweet, and like way over the top that direction.
2: And then horribly violent in other moments.
1: Very violent, insanely violent, and scary. Right? Like, I mean, like suspenseful and and scary. This was chock full of stuff going on this week.
2: Holy guys, were earning their money this week with the squishing (laughs) with the brain squishing sounds in tiona's final fight scene Uh, a lot of brain squishing and eyeball squishing you know how i love you know how i love eyeball (laughs) stuff you know it's my absolute favorite that is sarcasm mike hates eyeball stuff literally (laughs) can't watch someone put their contacts in like i turn away because it bothers me so much fingers should never be close to someone's eye
1: yeah well and certainly not the way tiona does it Oof.
2: I don't like touching my own eyeball, let alone putting my fingers in someone else. Put in them, putting in them inside, and yeah. Thanks, other priest guy coming over. She's blinded you, brother. Yeah, I, I think he realizes that.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so what's just your general vibe? I I, I want your first vibes.
2: Uh, well, I was going to ask you. How does no, this I'm work?
1: asking you. I'm the lady. I go first. I'm going to ask you. What was your general feel here?
2: So a penultimate episode typically moves everyone into the end game position. That's why I like them so much. It's now this episode definitely moved people around, but a lot of people are still out of place for where I think everyone basically assumed season one would end. So that is a little confusing to me, but also a lot of things did happen in this episode. So it was activity filled as you'd like to see in a penultimate episode, but Spencer and, and Alex? Nowhere near getting even back to the United States, let alone back to Montana. Uh, why didn't they go to Marseille? Why are they stopping at Sicily? You would think they would just ride the boat all the way to the southern coast of France. Why would you want to deal with Mussolini and the mafia versus <laughs> the lazy French that you're just going to book you on the boat? Uh, I mean, Sicily is beautiful. And I do love oh, some arancini di Riso. Sicilian right? rice balls are the bomb. I, I'm all about that. Uh, I love Mison. <laughs> Sicilian rice balls, but I don't know. Under- yeah, so they're not. So when you turn
1: the episode off, though, okay, you turn the episode off. And, and, and you kind of like have your moment of silence you thought chaotic chaotic I like it I like it very much I, I would agree with that statement I would say that like tonally I felt like we were kind of all over the place like we couldn't quite like settle in anywhere because everything felt like we were looking at like a little Richter scale right and the little things just going like just nice and even like a heartbeat kind of thing right this week's was like high highs low Solos, everything in between, like we're just smacking our head on the ceiling, hitting our face on the floor, like just all over the place. I felt very satisfied with some portions of this and other portions Really, there wasn't anything I didn't like. I just kind of didn't understand some of the choices. Like, I kind of cocked my head like, well, this doesn't really feel like the same person wrote this. Or it feels like somebody was feeling very extreme about their emotions when they were writing this. Something feels a little
2: different. It did feel different because normally these shows are not so whiplashy unless it's a fifth act uh, you know cliffhanger kind of moment the tone of the episode is usually steady throughout this one by design felt chaotic and once so when i say chaotic i don't mean i actually don't mean in a bad way i actually like this episode i i thought this episode kept me having to pay attention i rewound this episode so many times i was like what, mm-hmm. what did i miss there you know mm-hmm. and and watching because when we get screeners guys you may not realize we don't get closed captioning i do like being able to then go back and watch an episode with the captions on so you because you do miss things, um, but I'm I'm standing there. I'm watching the screener. I'm I'm walking up to the TV constantly trying to make out words. And and this episode demanded you paid attention because so much happened. So it was chaotic in a whiplash emotion. You, you start off with Banner and the prostitutes, and then he's being arrested, but the prostitutes are still having sex upstairs. Like, that scene cuts okay, away with that's them. That's it.
1: We have to get right into this scene. We're not going to gloss <laughs> over this, okay? We're not. This scene, everything with Banner, That was going on there. It really took me aback. It was so much further than we have ever gone with anything in Yellowstone across all shows that I have seen. I haven't seen anything. Anything like this?
2: Nothing like this, short of an HBO or a Cinemax show, honestly, or a Showtime show. Th- this... No, but but yes. let's just
1: stick it in the universe that it lives in. I've never seen anything in the Sheridan universe that looks like this. And we've seen people have sex, and we've seen a lot of things happen. This is threesome action. This is pubic hair action. Which I was like, what? I mean, we've seen some side boob, even some nips and whatnot. But
2: we just had a conversation last week all about the
1: way down to her. Pub- big hair? I have not seen this kind of stuff.
2: It was a lot, and I was not ready for it. I mean, I, I understand the idea of showing Banner
1: like lavish and indulgent, right? And this this
2: this, yes. this sheep farmer now living like high on the hog, like like mm-hmm. Caligula. But honestly, I you I had that just watching him pulling out the wine and glasses and his silky robe. I didn't right. need to see the right. two high pri- the what I imagine are high priced call girls for the time in his bed let alone two of them. I didn't need to see one of them. The silky robe told me everything I needed to know.
1: It was this Hugh Hefner, right? Like smoking jacket kind of robe. It was it was dead on.
2: Jerome Flynn already exerts that energy. He already mm-hmm. exerts pimp daddy energy. You didn't.
1: So why, Mike? Why do you think that they had this whole moment where they said, you know what? Go ahead and lick that other woman's ass on TV for all of us to watch. What do you think made them make that choice? Choice
2: for for this for this conversation we're having right now because how do you not talk about Just it? Shock H- how do you not talk to someone that you watch the show with and not lead the conversation with? Oh my god! When they when the camera pans back up from the upstairs bedroom to watch Banner being taken away in the car with the sheriff, the soundtrack is the girls moaning in bed, and you get another glimpse of their ass as the camera moves to the window. Just straight titillation. I and listen, I'm no prude.
1: Neither of us are, and we're we're easy to talk about this and we can swear and we can say whatever we want i always feel like if you're gonna do stuff like this and i'm gonna include the scene in the kitchen with the whipping the girl with the belt like i'm gonna include that too under this this is extreme storytelling this is this is a level that goes beyond what i've seen i'm really thrown back by the choices to do this i get that we're trying to say something about these men we're trying to say something about whitfield we're trying to say something about power
2: it's right it's power dynamics and totally understand
1: but did they need to do it this way was this the was this the right way to do it was it the right way to do it for the audience we already have
2: If I I don't know if I'm watching this with Tom, uh, this is too much. I mean, he's 14. Uh, This is too much to share with your 14 year old, (laughs) you know, like uh, even the shower scene last week. And we talked about that. Like they didn't need to do that, but at least that was it it felt tasteful and it was very much in line with Alex and Spencer. It was intimate and it was sensual, but it wasn't pornographic. And I mean that not in like a porno sense but in a very graphic sense. This was pornographic.
1: Is it art or is it porn? And and you know the punchline is always well you'll just know it when you see it. And to me, I, this wasn't art anymore. Like you passed that part completely. They didn't need to be that naked. They didn't need to be they didn't need to lick their butts i mean sorry too much for me like and and i'm cool like watch porn all day long anyone who wants to see that go for it but on your regular tv that you were just watching kevin costner and you want to watch like you know rip and you want to watch like (laughs)
3: yeah
1: is this what we're watching? Well, I it also
2: distracts you because now we're talking about this instead of talking about the banner Peter arrest got scene.
1: arrested. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it became so secondary. Oh, it became yes. so secondary. And honestly, okay, Whitfield with the with the with the belt and stuff. God. Cut away. Take your belt off and hand it to the girl and say and and maybe do it once or something off off screen and say just like this or just have him say don't make a sound. I I take no pleasure in screams. You don't need to show it. I didn't
1: want to see it. I mean, I was We already know sad.
2: who Whitfield is. This is right in his wheelhouse. You don't need to be so explicit painting who he is. Make the episode 50 minutes instead of 52 minutes. And I, we don't need it. You're just distracting from a na- from a strong narrative. So it makes it look like the narrative is weak if you need to rely on these things. If you need to titillate and excite, you're at episode seven of an engrossing show. It's one of our biggest downloaded podcasts talking about this show. We, we have spent a minimum yeah two hours every week talking about the show. People are engaged. People are leaning forward watching it. This is distracting from the narrative and the strong storytelling you're already setting forth.
1: So this is our stance on it. I think, you know, you guys just as listeners, you guys both know Mike and I well enough to know that we totally are all in for romance, for sexy scenes, all this stuff.
2: The amount of times we talk about starting a Patreon, like after dark Patreon, Mm -hmm. we are not prudish people. I really Mm -mm. can't convey to you enough how much we're not. (laughs) How
1: much smack we talk (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, truly, if you knew us, but uh, yes. but this this again for me this is a narrative issue. Like I didn't need to see this.
1: I feel so relieved that you that we're on the same page because I had no idea if when we, when I sat down and I said to you what. Happened here? Like, what happened? Why did this seem to go so off the rails? I'm glad that you didn't say, "Oh no." I I really think that that was an important choice because I would have had such a hard time with it. I wouldn't have known what to say to you.
2: (laughs) No, I, I, I I I truly I'd love to hear a defense of why this was necessary.
1: Especially in this day and age where actresses are coming together and saying, you know what? No, you don't need to show my naked body.
2: I've seen plenty of rest at this point. I have not we seen even a penis. didn't even see
1: some side ass from Banner. Like, we didn't see anything. Right. Like, this is very unequal. This I don't know. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth right. in terms of the steps we've made, you know, in terms of how we film these scenes.
2: Very out of touch for 2023.
1: It felt that way, right? Like, it didn't feel like it was being handled very, like, with, like, tendal, tender, loving care, you know? And,
2: and honestly, uh, show me Jerome Flynn's cock. Uh, and Go if, ahead. If the, yeah. uh, you know, then let's at least make it equal. You're, t- you're saying that this guy has been so corrupted by power. He's walking around in his Hefner robe. He's not dick swinging out with, with two women in the bed. No. So show me that. Why? So so if you're not going to do that, then you're just trying to appeal to the titillation and the prurient interest of it all. This show's better than that. This universe mm-hmm. is better than that.
1: I agree. and And I don't again, nudity fine all day long. Even it out here, even it out and be thoughtful about when you're going to use it, because this kind of stuff, you know, I just you're right. We should be talking about Banners Arrest. This was huge. This was a huge step forward. And we're talking about champagnes and butts. (laughs) That shouldn't be. It
2: also I think it also undercuts then the moments where you do have Jack and Elizabeth and we get to share that first time with them. And it's awkward Mm. and they're and they're exposing their bodies. And, And again, we don't see Jack's dick in that scene you know but we don't you know and and the scenes with alex and spencer which is a part of their character the ravishing and the sexual energy and the adrenaline junkies that they are like those scenes are germane to those characters every time it was shown it was part of the narrative of the moment having this undercuts those moments it just does if if you only have blood and gore then the blood and gore means less The reason that Tiona is so effective is because there's so much torture that's not blood and gore, it's cameras pulling away as you hear the sound of her being beaten. So when you see her being beaten or you see her crushing someone's head with a rock, it's visceral and it hits you. Because even with all that she's been through, we're still not desensitized to it. When you have these scenes, it desensitizes you to the moments that should be impactful sexually.
1: Mm, I like that very much. So we can move on from from that portion. I just felt we had to talk about last it. last
2: thing on it. Very funny that banners at given all of this banners address is four one eight Hancock. <laughs>
1: oh no, totally. When he said
2: Hancock, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and
1: that just proves the kind of little nerds we are. We're like. <laughs>
2: But let's talk about the arrest though, because there was something okay. delicious when he opens the door. He says, Who am I supposed to have killed or attempted to murder? And uh, the seized parts have been part. And then there's Harrison Ford. There's Jacob there. The look on Banner's face, wonderful. He yes. says, "Look like you've seen a ghost, Banner. Maybe you have. I've been working on my Harrison Ford. I think I got it pretty good."
1: It sounds mostly like Batman.
2: <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I think Harrison Ford is kind of like Grandpa Batman. You're like, For where sure. is she? Where? Where is she? Where are the prostitutes? Where are the sex workers? Yeah, so Banner's face, I love that scene. I love that you look like a scene of ghosts. I love that Banner can't hold it in. He's like, you've, you've cheated death, you know, three times. You won't try, you don't, you know, cheat it again. That sounds like a confession to me.
1: I know that cracked me up. I was like, as soon as he said it, I howled. I howled. I was like, what did he just
2: say? Oh my God. Like, how, what kind, why would he say that? It's like such a confession. So we get to see Whitfield's mind. I thought this was interesting because, again, they've been talking about mining. And if you look into the history of Montana, Montana's history is replete with mining. It, it, was, it was the source of so many large mines of different metals and coal throughout its history. But in the universe of... Yellowstone. We've never seen mining so close to where the ranch is. This is really, mm-hmm. truly brand new information. And so the watch them being b- to blasting a mind and starting that up. I like that. I like that, that addition to the lore of the universe. Give me more on that. Give me more map watching that versus the other stuff that we had to watch with Whitfield, you know, and, and Banner. Because this is interesting to me. This is interesting to me in the lore of the universe. I, how, you know, we heard Jacob talk about how close they are to the ranch and we saw them in the mountain cutting the road and it looks pretty close and we know that they're north of there so the river water going to the ranches near you going to start being contaminated with this mining. Yeah, show us more of that because I'm into that. Like uh, what did they do? Are these mines still active today in the modern universe? That this is all brand new information and lore. So I, I was I thought that was interesting that we got to see that.
1: Agreed.
2: Uh some other characters just as as we're finishing up the banner and uh and Whitfield stuff. The lawyer just putting it out there in case it becomes important. His business card called him uh, Chad Benton, but his credited name is Chadwick Benton. So I think it's funny that the lawyer uses Chad instead of Chadwick on his business card. He's being played by... He's cash. Chadwick (laughs) Chad Chad Benton. Maybe
1: it's just casual Friday.
2: Uh, That's his business card. It's his cash cash business card. Yeah, for Friday. He's being played by Curry (laughs) Graham. So let's keep an eye out for him in future episodes. Episodes. clive clive not in the posse clive was supposed to be as a hired livestock agent why isn't he in the assembled posse in the opening scene
1: oh he's busy hiding in the alley
2: yeah he's hiding out and running back he this guy's gonna get caught he's not being subtle at all he literally is running down the street to go tell whitfield that he's i saw jacob i saw jacob dutton like dude you're not being subtle at all you're gonna get yourself killed
3: <laughs>
1: well clive i feel like his days are numbered <laughs>
2: I think so. I think so. Just a note, Judge Rollins, we get the hear his name dropped. He's going to be the presiding judge. It seems as if Chad, uh Chad Benton, the lawyer, is going to be paying him a visit. So interesting if we get to meet Chad, uh Judge Rollins, and if that becomes a character, can he be bought? Is this going to be a thing where everyone is against the Duttons crime-wise?
1: I feel confident the answer is yes, because the big
2: crux of this is when Jacob returns home and and tells Kara he's where he's supposed to be. And she's like, Jacob, tell me where is he supposed to be? And she's, (laughs) you know, he's in jail. He's going to be arraigned and tried and then hung on the gallows. Well, not if Judge Rollins is bought and paid for by Whitfield. You're still going to have you may still have to go to plan B of just flat out murdering the son of a bitch. Definitely, Plan B. Plan B on Hancock Road. Let's get to the opening of the episode and let's get into the Duttons and what they're doing here. This felt like a time jump. Did it? Didn't it feel like a time jump to you? Given all of the snow on the ground and Jacob, yes. was, he's walking around with he's walking around very well and with vigor and, yeah. and with purpose. It was
1: when he walked in the door and he was closing the door behind him, and it was. So so blustery winter behind him Mm -hmm. that like made me sit up straighter. Like I was like, wait, wait, what, when are we right now? Like did time pass, but it couldn't have because Banner was going to be arrested the next day. So it was like, but it did feel like we, we jumped a little.
2: Right. When Jack is saying goodbye to Elizabeth in bed, I fully expected her to pull back the covers and have like a big old belly to indicate like time had jumped, but no, no, I, I think it's really the next day. It just They must have just had a ma- major snowfall overnight since the last episode. Because we did hear the sheriff say, I'll rest him tomorrow morning. So they got that posse together, which he had just told Zane that day to start working on. So they got the posse together, a heavy snowfall fell, and Jacob really progressed in his healing all in one day. Maybe it was the adrenaline of going to do something about Banner that made Jacob feel... Uh, stronger because watch him walk. Uh, yes, he's oh, shivering. He great, he's shivering in the cold. But when he's striding, he's not walking across the room. He's not hobbling across the room. He is striding through the house. It, it, There's a man full of vigor when he's walking through the house. I am like, oh, he really didn't need the cane anymore when he threw it to Kara uh, in the last episode. <laughs> the sheriff is busting his balls about doing not doing cowboy justice and following the law. And I will arrest him when push comes to shove. The sheriff's car follow the Jacob led horse posse up to Banner's house.
1: When they were riding by and then the sheriff was like like get in the car, get in the car. Like, it, was, it made me think of like kids when they're like oh shit, like it's time to go. Get, get your shoes go. Like it was funny. I guess well I guess you can't know when they're going to ride into town, right? Like you have to remember like there's zero communique. Right. So well, they probably he had was an arranged waiting time, right, for him. Yeah, yeah, but there is no such thing as an arranged time. You're riding like half a day, you know.
2: what's, what's your what's your horse per hour?
1: What is your horse per hour exactly?
2: But yeah, after all of this, the sheriff is still following Jacob to go arrest Banner. I just found that funny. I was like, it's like, this is, you are sending mixed signals about what the, what the actual rules are here. And then Banner makes a very valid point when he's about to be arrested. This, you know, you, you tried to hung me, hung my men. And the sheriff is like, he was in his rights. Well, okay. <laughs> We're saying that he did murder and that's cool. You did murder and that's bad.
1: Well, was trespassing, Mike. They were trespassing on his land. I
2: understand. And I agree with it. I'm just saying (laughs) I'm just saying the the sheriff is giving mixed signals on what the rules are.
1: Okay, or what he's going to enforce, at
2: least. Well, he's yelling at Jacob about cowboy justice. And here he is going along essentially with cowboy justice. Maybe he's just so happy that Jacob didn't go and kill Banner outright. So maybe that's the rub. Maybe I'm getting Jacob to play ball here and letting the law enforcement do its job. So let him lead the Right. A little a little a little for me, a little for you.
1: I think so. And I think that he needs to have a little bit of respect for the fact that Jacob isn't going to play second fiddle to him. So if he wants to play at all, he's got to be like (laughs) co-leader.
2: Right. Does that come on a badge? Yes, his, his, his leader His badge is sli- <laughs> slightly smaller and comes with a hyphen. No,
1: what, no, the sheriff has half the badge and Jacob has half the badge. Oh my and when God, they get like, together, like, it's like a BFF like heart a BFF necklace. a
2: heart necklace. Yes, oh my then God. together
1: they form the law,
2: you see. I like to think that they actually have a tattoo more manly. <laughs> like when... <No. laughs> When they put like their left, like Jacob's left hand up against the sheriff's right hand. It, it makes like a little heart. heart together. But the heart is like a sheriff's <laughs> badge, you know, kind of like a Care be Bear so stare. Funny. Yes, you know? totally.
1: Yeah. Actually, when all of them arrived at Boehner's house and there were so many of them, it was a little Care Bear starey.
2: I, if they had just all been akimbo putting their chest up, Yeah. Well, Jacob could have busted <laughs> open up his shirt to show the bullet holes. Yes. You want proof right here in the winter? And he yeah. rips open his shirt.
1: Enjoy. a Look at my teats.
2: We, we sound very punchy, like we didn't like this episode.
1: But we did no, like not this at episode. All. It's not but about liking or very not punchy.
2: liking. We're very, punchy. Very we're a punchy little about.
1: punchy, I admit. But you know what, you guys? We've been putting out a lot of content for you guys back to back. So I hope you're enjoying it. But it is making us a little silly.
2: I hope you like our silly sides. I hope you like it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Kara and Elizabeth, because I know you particularly like this scene. I, I want to play a little clip and then I want to talk about the, this moment together because this is the whiplash, right? We're seeing ass licking. We're seeing we're don't, seeing.
1: Oh, but don't you unwrap the package. You play your clip.
3: All right. Who are you writing? Spencer. My youngest. Well, he's not mine, but I call him mine. Jack's uncle. Yes. Isn't he coming home? he is then how can you send him a letter I can't it's more for me I suppose you could call it journaling I don't know writing to oneself seems so narcissistic I can't bring myself to do it so I address my thoughts to him what do you tell him everything how I feel what I made for supper I told him about you me? about the baby how you can tame Jack with a look I would hardly say he's tamed. Spencer was always a very quiet boy. Very still, always watching. Deliberate in everything he did. I could jabber away for hours and he would just listen. I suppose that's what I'm doing now. (laughs) You do it when they're gone? Yes. I think I'm more like Jack. I need a purpose. Oh this weird suffocates me.
2: I found that very relatable. I need a purpose, the waiting, not being able to do anything, the feeling of like the, the feeling of like being impotent, like you can't, you can't affect things that are happening and you know, things are happening and you just have to sit there. And so you need something to do. It's like a waiting room syndrome, right? When when someone you like you love is in an operation or or in some kind of doctor's appointment and you can't be there participating, the, the idea that you need to be doing something. I felt that very much. I really related to, to Kara and to Elizabeth here.
1: I thought it had a lot of heart. There was a lot of conversation between these two women that I agree felt relatable and felt very just kind to one another really really seeing like you know this this more experienced woman you know explaining the world and how she copes with the life that they all lead and how she gets along and, and how she figures things out I thought it was a little funny when she called it journaling I was like oh that seems a little out of place um, I don't think they would call it that but it, it was still like interesting a way for the audience to understand why she does what she does it was really like endearing to me that she writes letters that she never really intends to send because as she was writing it, I was saying out loud, where are you going to mail that to? Like, wh- like, how are you going to get that to him? But once she you know, expressed that this is just a way for her to get her her nerves out, a way to kind of release some of that anxiety and, and feel like she's talking to him, feel like she's sharing something with him. That was all really special. But I, I really wanted to point out the camera work that happened when they went to go bake the cake, because there was something about that that was for all the stuff that we were just talking about with all these sex worker scenes and stuff like that. The wholesomeness of these two women, the way that they filmed the ingredients going into the bowl and mixing and them talking about how like, oh, you have got to mix a little longer so you don't have any lumps. And there was just this care that was being taken between the two of them and care that the camera work actually contributed to because they were being so cautious and thoughtful about how they showed the process of everything. It was very delicate. Very and heartwarming. Like it felt good. It felt like it felt like Kara... Was really in many ways passing on, you know, the torch to Elizabeth and Jack, as has already been explained, the future of the Yellowstone. Having these moments where you see her explain, how do you be the woman of the ranch? Well, I, I get through the waiting by doing this. Well, how do I make a kick? Well, let's talk about that. Let's do that. If like, we, I felt like we were going through the process of transition, that feels, well, sad in many ways. It also feels like family, like tradition, like what you want to see in the Dutton household. It's not the Duttons aren't just about being, you know, vigilantes out there doing their their thing. They have these traditions. They have a value system that they they really do care about and protect.
2: Other than a couple of interactions where Jack is in the room or watching Carabia voyeur with the the kissy face and the and the love making sounds and all those kinds of things. Kara and Elizabeth really haven't had any one on one interaction in this show. The only time I could think of where men weren't around were in the beginning of the show when they went off to move the herd and Emma Kara and Elizabeth were left behind, and we so we had some scenes there, but Elizabeth was distraught then I mean she 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 was she was upset about her wedding being postponed and Jack being gone, and she spent most of that time weeping.
1: Emma created like a buffer too it would have made sense for Emma to actually be teaching Elizabeth things like how to bake a cake or how to be on the homestead and that kind of thing since Emma is now removed there's much more of this like grandmotherly kind of relationship with Elizabeth between Kara and her that feels really grounded and very real.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it was all very sweet. The way she refers to, the way Kara refers to Spencer as her youngest and then corrects herself. That's all very in line with this family aspect. There's been so much violence and there's been so much drama and there's been so much bombastic noise so far in the show, we have had so little of these quiet moments. And if you've ever heard me on a podcast talk about family and life, you've heard me say, like, life is lived in the little moments. It's not lived in the big moments. The majority of life is lived in those little cracks. It's lived in learning how to bake a cake. It's learned in trying to, uh, being told you have to take all the lumps out of it. And and Elizabeth saying, oh, I have a new appreciation for bakers than I did yesterday. <laughs> and Kara very earnestly saying, there's a bit of labor, a little bit of labor involved. Like it was all very earnest, and it was family, and it was tradition, and it was it was passing it down to the next generation. Kara doesn't have her own kids, so Elizabeth and Jack are her own kids until Spencer comes And Elizabeth comes home.
1: doesn't have any parents or anybody to be in that mentor role, so I mean they're really filling a void for one another in a way that just feels so right and authentic. And and I mean, again, you couldn't be more polar opposite than the scenes before.
2: Well, that's that's where the whiplashy comes from because then you mm-hmm. do have the. These sweet moments if you're building out characters and you want to make us invested especially in Elizabeth I think everyone's very invested in Kara and Kara and Jacob at this point but I don't know that everyone is so invested in Jack and Elizabeth because there is a maturity level there and I think that is a that is a barrier for some viewers to get behind these characters they're they're not sold on them as real people these kinds of scenes even listening to Elizabeth be frank about herself and say I can't express myself with words but I still but I do need a purpose, like you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but letter writing isn't the thing. And and, and maybe I'll make a cake. You know how to make a cake? No. I mean, it, it's it's humanizing. It makes, me, it makes me want to root for Elizabeth. It makes me care what happens to her. It makes me care what happens to the baby she's carrying that we can't see yet. How does she know she's pregnant? These scenes are important. That's why the scene with Jack and Elizabeth last week, silly as it was, of how do you know you're pregnant? And oh, men don't know anything. Those scenes are important. Those quiet moments are important because it invests you in these characters and makes them feel more real and more fleshed out what's happening when the men are off a resting banner well these two ladies are bonding and they're having this moment this this tradition moment in the kitchen their life is going on even if we're not seeing it you need to get to that place where how is elizabeth spending her day i think and i wonder this show now <laughs> is showing us how that's happening she knits and she she frets and she bakes and now she can bake
1: I really appreciated when Harrison walks in and 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 he makes the joke about if they're going to be baking cakes every time that they go off to do something that they're going to need you know bigger horses because they're going to be so big. I liked that joke. That's a that's a dad joke for the ages kind of thing. And but also he was like giving this very sweet smile to the two of them, very and fatherly,
2: like, very very
1: loving. and like very like blessing the moment. Like this is perfection this is what I want to be happening in this house that I you know created here on this ranch you know like there was something about it that I was like if you had to like check boxes off for like this is my dream this is what I want you might have thought at one point I, I want to imagine my wife baking cakes in the kitchen with our daughters and all this kind of stuff. you know you could like make up that kind of stuff and it felt like he was seeing something come to fruition you know right in front of him
2: For fans of Yellowstone, and just to make the connection to Yellowstone, what we see in this scene and the way Jacob reacts to it when he comes in and, did you get caught in the rain? Yeah, just a little bit. Like, very, like, sweet. Uh, That is what John Dutton, Kevin Costner, John Dutton is chasing and is forever talking about in Yellowstone. And it is impossible with the current family makeup. It will never come true in the current modern generation of Yellowstone. But he knows the stories from his youth and he talks about that's what this ranch house used to be filled with these moments when when John when John is waxing poetic and nostalgic about how he wants a a house full of Duttons under under the roof of the lodge. These are the moments he's thinking of, and these are the moments that he's talking about. Make that connection, because it is something that is lost in 2023 Yellowstone, in the yellow in 2023 Dutton family. They are splintered to the wind. They are not making cakes together no generationally. No one's baking cakes. There are no, there's no cake baking happening in the modern no. Yellowstone family. So Mm-mm. these moments are precious, and these are lost Dutton moments.
1: Not unless Gator's baking the cake. Yeah,
2: oh, Gator, the unsung <laughs> hero of the entire Yellowstone universe. Uh, uh, just another cute moment is, you know, Eliz- uh, Elizabeth is having this moment. She's baking this cake, but as soon as she hears that Jack is there, she runs out. And and, and Harrison and and Kara and Jacob are so they're so cute. You know, she's a dramatic little thing. <laughs> An calls yes. her a new little puppy. It's like I, which
1: we've been calling them little puppies. So I thought that was like so funny. I was like, you know, one of those times when you feel like the writer's under your bed, you're like, We've been calling them puppies.
2: But in 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 Chemistry 101, Harry uh, Jacob says to Kara, I remember when you were the new little puppy. And she just looks at him like like he's full of shit and says, no, you don't. And then she kind of <laughs>, laughs at him. It was just very sweet. These moments, like mm-hmm. this is life. This is where life is being lived. It's so important. It's so important in a TV show, dumb as it is to be invested in it. And, but God, it's so important in your real life. Like the moment I get to like show Tom how to bake something, brownies or a cake or, or make something in the kitchen. Teaching something to the next generation, it's so important. It really is the thing that you're going to think about more than anything else. It's it's it it really hit (laughs) home for me. I I
1: love that this cooking scene because I was like, I really like this cooking scene. And now you're like, listen to me, people. (laughs) I love when it hits your heart, and you're so passionate about it.
2: Well, this past fall, I showed Tom how to make an apple pie. It's the only thing I really know how to bake from scratch pretty well is an apple pie. So I got to show Tom this fall how to make an apple pie. Man, I'm going to hold on to that moment more than anything else that happens, big or small. It, it was such a it was such a family dad moment that I get to I get to have I get to have forever. I so I, this resonated with me in, in a strong way. So I wanna I wanna hit Jack and Elizabeth one more time before we get to dinner.
1: Oh whoa. Can I just tell you when Jack walks in and he's wearing those chaps and those chaps are so funny because they reminded me of do you remember did you ever watch the movie Parenthood with Steve Martin? Sure okay and remember when the when the cowboy dan doesn't show up for the party yeah
2: steve barton dresses up right as the yeah
1: but he has to slice the bathroom mat into two like hairy (laughs) like chaps on his legs and it was making me laugh so much when i saw jack first come in because i was like you know i've seen plenty of men in chaps okay and i mean plenty i live in houston it's rodeo times coming right now i'm sure plenty not that (laughs) nothing like that i'm talking cowboys okay no thunder down under chaps i'm talking cowboys okay and there's something about now talk about where we could talk sexy let's 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 show how not prude carolina is the way that chaps like cup Someone's butt, mm-hmm. and then when they turn around, the way that it highlights their crotch, there's like a whole thing about that that I'm like, mm, chaps.
2: <laughs> I think Elizabeth was agreeing with you. I mean, she's watching silently.
1: Also, though, those things would smell like hell <laughs> what,
2: <laughs> because after they're, six hours on a horse.
1: And they had said there was a little bit of, of like a rain they had gotten caught in so they'd be like a little damp or something. Mm. Ugh ugh, those things would smell like wet dog. But I appreciated everything about it. I was actually quite surprised that Jack didn't rush to the kitchen. You know, we have Jacob and I'm gonna continue to call him Harrison. I don't I hope nobody's confused by that or weirded out by that. But when he does that, I was surprised that Jack like was still taking his time, but then also just like pulled a chair up to the fire and was just kind of chilling. Like he didn't go run looking for Elizabeth. This was a little this was a little change in the way that they do things, maturity. but I really liked maturity. You're right. I really liked how she came and like snuggled on him and stuff. I was like, that's that's so but sweet.
2: She, but also didn't run to him either. She stood and watched him do his business. Mm-hmm. She watched. She let him put up his stuff and gave him the moment that he needed to breathe. I thought it was it was a small moment, but for these two, these were two grown ups. These weren't little kids playing at house. These were two... when they
1: fell on the ground running to each other.
2: Yes, not identifiable. <laughs> these two. So think. Think about that and think about how far they've come in, in, a, in a short amount of time, but given what they have been through. This is how grown-ups running a household, the next generation. This is how you want them to behave, not like new puppies, as, as much as Kara and Jacob oh, it's cute are, are and poking fun. But <laughs> she waits. She gives them breath. She just watches her man from the distance, and he is just taking a breath because he had a long day, a long horse ride, and an emotional thing with the banner.
1: And everyone just holding their breaths too. I mean, remember the whole while well, what we saw with Banner actually was extremely smooth and extremely. and he was, you know, arrested without any big hullabaloo at all, they were expecting a potential shootout. You know, they brought all those men because they didn't know what they were going to be facing. So we're really lucky that it was actually very quiet. But the women waiting back at the Yellowstone had no idea if this was going to be Banner, you know, blockading himself in the house or shooting at all the cops, like no idea what was going to happen, right? So this was, this was, quite filled with concern and worry, especially we've got this vengeance in everybody's hearts that we're worried someone might just wig out and, you know, shiv someone.
2: Well, given Kara's response of where is he, Jacob, like you have to yeah. specify that where he is, he <laughs> that he belongs. So it was 50 50 in Kara's mind and therefore in Elizabeth's mind that they were going there to kill a man, that that they were coming home covered in blood, that it wasn't going to be an orderly arrest and and, ha- you know, hand off to the police and to the jail. If you were to probe inside Jacob's mind, it was probably 50 50 for him whether or not his gun was going to get used.
1: No, for sure. Because honestly, the fact that Banner just walked with them was probably only like one out of 10 chances of what was going to happen. He has his own posse. He has his own, you know, and and announces
2: as he's being arrested. My posse will come for you and I have done murder. (laughs) Oh, shit. I shouldn't have said that. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, you really should not be threatening people (laughs) while
2: the sheriff is holding your elbow. No, it's
1: a bad idea. Don't do it then. Do it at a later. I want to
2: I want to just rewind to the very beginning of the episode. It starts with Jack giving Elizabeth a kiss. And there she she says, you know, say it. The say it is I promise I'll be careful. But then she says, I love you. And he just looks at her, smiles and leaves the room. This drives me crazy crazy
1: <laughs> you don't you don't like a, a unresponsive partner
2: i don't like anyone if someone if if a loved one partner parent
3: child, child whatever
2: says i love you you say i love you back guys tomorrow <laughs> is not promised
1: oh mike you are on your soapbox
2: it is not and as you lay dying in the ditch Oh my god. Why would you allow one of the last thoughts to be I didn't tell her I love her back? Because I got to tell you, if she, if you're lying dead in a ditch, she finds out. She's going to be thinking he didn't say I love you as the last words. The last words were me saying it and him not saying it back. Tomorrow is not promised. Never waste an opportunity to tell your loved one that you love them. In in my book of wisdom, it is literally the first 19 chapters is say I love you before you go to bed or before you're not going to see someone for a while, especially given the situation here where violence is very possible. Say I love you, you little jackass. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Drove me crazy. I literally was Uh, was raging 30 seconds into the episode
1: yeah I mean I have a thing with that too like I don't think I could have let that lie I think I'd have been no. like um no wait can you come you back you would have please?
2: chased him <laughs> out oh, you would have jumped out of bed and chased his ass down the stairs
1: oh I love that you know that that's very funny yes I would I don't know that I, I would just do a lot of hey hey get back in here I don't know that I would jump out of bed but I'd be doing a lot of hey hey come back in here yeah, she did look we very cozy some... in the bed <laughs> yeah she did I, and, and if I'm cozy I'm not getting I up, a lot so. of
2: snow felt you know it's probably cold yes. in that house
1: I can't imagine. you know I had that thought across the Board, because there was a lot of scenes here when we talk about whitfield and they're over by the mine i was thinking how bitter cold it must be and the you know we've got all this gore Tex and all this fancy stuff now to keep us warm but man they were just in like overcoats and stuff like they're like oh my god they the just ones. must be bone chilling
2: they're the tough ones the country is built on their backs that's right
1: I have a lot of respect for that because I because I am chattering my teeth when it's just like 40 degrees. It's and so
2: cold where I am recording right now. All I'm thinking is I'm kicking myself for not throwing my hoodie on before we started to record. Oh
1: no, how cold is it?
2: It's, it's pretty cold tonight. It's pretty cold tonight.
1: See, and it, it was
2: 75 today.
1: <sighs> <laughs> but you know what? August will be 300 degrees and I'll be crawling in a hole. So
2: no, no, uh, no hoodies. Then I guess
1: no hoodies can save me at that point.
2: <laughs> let's get let's get to the dinner scene between cara jacob jack and elizabeth Ooh. just just shooting angle wise this the angle that they the first two angles that they chose were the angles that they use when they shoot modern mainline yellowstone dinner scenes and our dining room scenes and it It was so nostalgic for me. It hit me in a way that other shots of the house did not because it looks so much like what the modern dining room still looks like. And because cause the only times we've really seen them in the dining room, they have shot it from the other end of the room. We saw it with Emma when she was just being catatonic. And we saw it with Elizabeth when she was weeping and ran out of the room, all from that other angle. For this episode, they chose the modern Yellowstone angle for a dinner scene. And it's the first full dinner where people are sitting around the table. It could have easily been John and Beth and Casey and Jamie and, and Lee before he's dead, like sitting around the table at... At, at, at in the mainline like story, day, in the modern yeah. Yellowstone, it, it really sucker punched me as as coming down through the lines and through the generations. How how unchanged so much of this house is. The porch definitely hits you. There there are angles on the porch um that you see and you're like, oh my God, that's that's pulled right from like the show, like the mainline show and and here it is a hundred years before. This scene did that for me. So just in a nostalgia way, it kind of it, it got to me. I was like a hundred years of unbroken dining in this room. It was I don't know. I'm I'm such a baby. I'm such a soft heart little <laughs> sucker for this kind of stuff.
1: Well and, and I come from a family where we have Sunday dinners every week. And so you you know my my kids are confused when there's not a Sunday dinner tonight. We had headed up to the lake and we're up there and and I had told the kids we weren't going to have Sunday dinner and so my dad was up there too and he starts like making burgers and my kids were like, wait wait, wait. are we having Sunday dinner Sunday dinner and sitting around a dinner table together as a family? I am not in 1950s like nostalgic, wishing we had that time back or anything like that but there's something very nice about you know getting together and having a tradition whatever your family tradition is could be sitting in front of the TV watching you know with a pizza box on your laps that's awesome that's perfect but to just have that meal time to gather around I know for you you make a super huge point of making sure that you do sit down and eat with Tom like when it is meal time like you could easily eat at your computer and finish work or whatever especially on those like lunch days when he doesn't have school but like you put everything away and you sit down at the dinner table and eat with him. That's really like a lost thing for most people.
2: Well, our lives are so chaotic as it is. I mean, I get maybe I get some car rides where I get a download, but it's really dinner time is the time that I get to have meaningful conversation and catch up about what's going on in his life and to the extent that he needs or I need to tell him about what's going on in my life. Like or just that or just what's happening in the world like right now there's spring break uh spring uh spring training baseball talk oh yeah well, we'll talk about that how the Mets look you know stuff like that yeah. it's a time to kind of connect that way because we are going in so many different directions so this hit me because dinners are so unsuccessful in the mainline show that they always end in screaming <laughs> and someone, storming out
1: what do they say we've they've never finished a they've meal never,
2: since, she was, <laughs> since beth was a girl they've never finished a meal
1: because beth always is like erupts in anger and, and, and says Things out. to people that I think, just I think the
2: line is she, everyone. I think the line is she hasn't she hasn't finished a meal in this room since she was a child. I think is the line, <laughs> but they try it though, and he tries, and Gator hey. is trying to serve them food, and John is sitting just where Jacob sits, He's trying to keep the tradition alive. But just like the baking, there there is no peaceful dinner. Even this dinner where Jack goes at Jacob a little bit, Jacob doesn't lose his cool, and Jacob uses it as a moment to teach. The next future generation of ownership of this ranch about why they do the things they do and why things like the Livestock Commission matter. But before we get into the serious stuff at the dinner, I wanted to regale you with some fun news of the day stuff that they talk about in this episode. Okay. Okay. So they talk about uh, Coolidge, who is the president here. He just became the president in 1923 when Harding died. In office. They talk about the fact that he had two grizzlies released on a lawn that he had caught in Mexico. I couldn't find any evidence of Calvin Coolidge having two grizzly bears, but Calvin Coolidge did, in fact. Have a small zoo in the White House. So here's some things about what Calvin Coolidge had. He did have a bear cub at one point. He had two lion cubs. He had a wallaby, an antelope, Peking ducks, and Billy the pygmy hippopotamus during his time at the White House. He (laughs) also received a raccoon as to be served as part of a Thanksgiving dinner. But President Coolidge grew fond of the raccoon and named her Rebecca.
1: Oh, my God, Rebecca. He let Rebecca roam up and down
2: the halls, and he took her for walks on the leash around the White House gardens. She never made it to the dinner table, except perhaps as a guest. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> That's so sweet. Now let's fa- you gotta fast forward. Uh, you have to rewind twenty years. In eighteen oh seven, Captain Zebul- uh, Zebulon Pike, for whom the Pike uh, Pike's Peak is named after, he sent President Thomas Jefferson a male and female grizzly bear, which Jefferson kept in an enclosure near the north entrance to the White House, which. Jefferson's enemies referred to as the Bear Garden. When the bears eventually outgrew their cages, they were allowed to roam the White House lawn along with Jefferson's peacocks, partridges, and mockingbirds that he kept. So there were grizzly bears that did roam the White House lawn, but it was Jefferson that had them. There is a funny website called OurWhiteHouse.org, and then there is a page called Lions and Tigers and Bears Oh My Wild Animals at the White House, where you could read all about crazy animals that presidents have kept at the White House over the years.
1: I think that's incredibly cool. I I've I mean, animals always have a funny way of and this is gonna sound fun to say, but like humanizing people, especially people who are like in positions of power. Like when you see President of the United States walking their dog and playing with or them Rebecca or the whatever.
3: Raccoon.
1: Yeah, sure. Rebecca the Raccoon would be even better. But you know, when you see them walking their little cocker spaniel or whatever, there's something that's very like, oh, they're just like us. They're just people.
2: I did some deep diving. The uh, unemployment rate in 1923, in fact, did hit 2.4%, which is what they rep- what they uh, report here. Though so I like the little aside that Jack and, uh, Jack and Jacob both were looking at each other as not around here, meaning like the unemployment rate in Montana, in very rural Montana, much higher. You know, jobs, that is not a snapshot of every part of the country. That is a general snapshot of the country. So again, they didn't need to include that, but it's a little moment just to kind of build out the lore about where they are. The interesting thing was the Mining Commission. Now, I couldn't find any evidence that a regulatory Mining Commission was, in fact, set up in 1923. The Anaconda, in, Jack is reading Nargle. he says that Anaconda's CEO is made chairman of the commission. Now, Anaconda Copper Mining was, in fact, a real company. I'm going to read a little bit here. So the Anaconda Copper Mining Company was known as the Amalgamated Copper Company between 1899 to 1915. It was an American mining company headquartered in butte montana it was one of the largest trust companies of the early 20th century and one of the largest mining companies in the entire world for much of the 20th century during the 1920s due to metal prices going up in price the mining activity increased especially in montana by the mid-1920s anaconda copper mining was the fourth largest company in the world So a very real company being name dropped here. So when you hear that Whitfield Silver Mining was and Donald Whitfield, the CEO of of Whitfield Silver Mining, was named the vice chairman of this regulatory commission, know that his company is big, but it's not Anaconda Copper Mining big. But the fact that he's being made vice chairman of this, if you look into the history of who else is involved, signals that it is a big deal. It is a big deal for this man to be put and to begin so much power over the mining regulatory commission. That was a lot of information that maybe is completely unnecessary, but I did the research for you folks. So I figured I would read it all.
1: I think it's great. And we all appreciate your research very much. It helps fill out the world because that's one of the cool things. If you're going to have a show that's named after a year, it's really, really important to also have those moments where you, you world build for us and tell us what's going on, what's happening all around us. It always makes it feel like we're less of just like this little speck, you know, happening in Montana. It makes you feel like, oh, no, the whole world is chug, chug, chugging along here.
2: So to set the table in this conversation, Jack finishes reading that article, and then he asks the question kind of rhetorically, though Jacob answers it, says they put the bosses of the mining companies in charge of the... Of charge of the commission that's going to write the mining laws. Jacob says, well, that's politics for you. I mean, that if you ever needed a statement, Jack looks at him and says, well, you run the livestock commission and you you enforce the laws that you make and you're a rancher, so isn't it the same thing? Did that catch you off guard that Jack would go at Jacob like that? In, in, in a very intelligent way, he's not making a bad point, he's making a very valid point, but I don't know that we have seen that level of intelligence from Jack. <laughs> or I mean, he's been, he's he's gone at jacob right they had that whole confrontation of you're so angry look how angry you are and you you got old like so we've seen him snap at jacob but this was an intellectual debate he was bringing to jacob did that surprise you to get that from jack
1: it probably surprised me to come from him in particular. It actually kind of seems like something more like Kara might say, uh, because because it does seem like he, it has to be so in tune with with what is really going on behind the scenes. Like Jack seems to just gloss over the fact that, you know, this is how it is run. But also, I think that, I think I'm going to say this is going to play into the maturity of of Jack and Elizabeth, so we're starting to see Jack start to put things together, perhaps out loud, even in front of us. That maybe he hadn't much thought about before, you know, about what's fair and when, what's people's point of view, and and you know, is it okay if if you know if you're a good person and you're wanting to do right, is it okay that you're in charge and also the one enforcing rules that affect you as well? He, I, you could almost watch him put the pieces together, and so I, I was taking it like I was surprised that he said it, but also, okay, we're watching him grow and start to understand the position that a Dutton has in the world and remind the viewers of what that position is. And I think everything that we get with this entire, the 500 rule conversation was great. I mean, my degree is in applied learning and development, and and there's something about learning about people and the patterns of people and how it's so predictable to see, like, once you get X amount of people in the same place, this is what's going to happen. Really enlightening, I think, to, to get to hear explained so well.
2: Before I played the for the five hundred, there's cl- two clips here. It's really one long statement, but I'm breaking it up because there is a little bit of a demarcation line that you can we can make. You made the point before that Emma would have been the buffer between Elizabeth and Kara. And maybe it would have been Emma that was teaching her things like how to bake a cake and, and how to channel her nervous energy when, when the men are gone and she doesn't know what to do with herself, but Emma's gone now. And so that buffer is gone. John, very similarly, I think probably was often the buffer between Jacob and Jack. And so that Jack maybe didn't ever have a a lot of direct lessons on running the ranch, the, the actual business side of why we do what we do and why we, we enact the laws we enact and why things like the livestock commission have to be. He had his father to be that buffer, and John had started to teach him, but clearly didn't get to finish teaching him all those things. And so now that buffer is also gone. It's not just the buffer between Emma, as that Emma filled between Elizabeth and Kara. So Cara's now getting this direct contact to Elizabeth and and tutelage to her, giving this tutelage to her. Now Jacob is going to be the one who has to actually educate and teach jack what he needs to know before it's too late before jacob is gone from this earth jack needs to know what he needs to know and he doesn't have the buffer of his father there anymore it's a good it's a good parallel i'm glad you mentioned it before about uh cara and elizabeth and emma
1: It hits home the loss of that that entire generation there. We lost Elizabeth's parents. We lost Jack's parents. So we have now a very unnatural, like a grand to grandchild sort of like household now where the grandkids, they weren't they weren't next up. On the uh, to be leading. And yet they're going to be called up to become, you know, the matriarch and the patriarch of this household well sooner than they're ready for. So it's like all that immaturity. We were going to watch that slide away. And we talked about that actually last week about, you know, they are the representatives of innocence and hopeful, um, you know, sort of this this really naive kind of thinking. And we're watching that slip away. We're watching that kind of have to go, you know, be put away with their childish things, if you will.
2: People talk about the the generation of men that went off to fight in Vietnam as being a lost generation because so many of them were killed and didn't return. And there was a real gap in the generation that those, those kids, I mean, they were kids, they were young men, would have filled. We have to remind ourselves. Spencer is now the only one of that generation line still alive. It, there, there is no middle buffer anymore except for Spencer, and Spencer is still halfway around the world. It's gone. I mean, it wasn't very big to begin with. Elsa is long dead. John is now dead. Emma is now dead. That middle generation is a true lost generation.
1: This conversation and this episode actually is one of the few that it's really making it like blaring, you know, like you should see that. Like when you look around that table, you have two very much older, you know, Patriarch Matrix and very young Jack and Elizabeth. And you realize like this is the, the passing of the torch between these two. And it's very unnatural. And again, when we talk about nature and we talk about, you know, having to kind of Coexist. When you get un, like these unnatural passing ons, it's always important to highlight it because you end up missing things. Like here, she's a grown adult woman; she doesn't know how to bake a cake. There, because natural things have been lost along the way that would have happened had they gotten married, and Emma would have shown her around the kitchen, and they would have had all these times together. You know, and like it didn't happen the way it "quote unquote" should have.
2: As an intro to this clip, Jack has finished reading this article, and he looks at his uncle and says. Banner is doing the same shit that you do and and, and going at Jacob. And Jacob doesn't re. This is how Jacob reacts. This is Jacob's reaction to Jack making the parallel from between Whitfield and mining and Dutton and cattle ranching.
0: There's this theory that these scientists came up with after studying tribes in India and Africa, South America. The smaller tribes didn't have any government, didn't need any. They could sit down and talk out their problems, decide where to plant crops to hunt. It was just a big family, really. But when the number of people got up around 500, if there wasn't any government, the strongest people would take advantage of the weakest. Every time, without fail, they would enslave, rape, steal, enrich their lives at the expense of other people's lives. Government's man's way of trying to control our behavior, but it can't be controlled. That's what we are. Sooner or later, the kind of people that would enrich themselves at your expense will use the government to do it. And mark my words, one day they'll create laws to control what we say, how we think. They'll outlaw our right to disagree. If we let him,
2: he says a lot in this clip uh there's a couple of pieces that we have to we have to tackle. one is this idea of government that that at some point a population attempts to form a government to control man's behavior. But, you know, sorry, Jake, it's Chinatown, you know, like it's, it's 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 a lost cause because man is who man is. And so if you try to control man's behavior, what's going to happen is eventually government will become a pawn in controlling man's behavior. That government will just become another way for the rich and the powerful to control and sublimate the weaker and the less fortunate. It's just another tool to be used. We have to fight against it. And so that's that's the first angle. The second angle is and I think this is Taylor Sheridan and the show talking about the modern day and, and maybe making some public commentary on the way the world is now that one day laws will be made and put into uh, effect that will limit our free speech. It will limit to the point it will limit our ability to disagree with each other. We will not allow to have discourse and and that we have to fight against that we can't be uh, we can't allow government to so so silence us and so restrict us that we can't even disagree with each other.
1: Well, I think humans are fascinating, you know, and the way that it is so predictable that that people end up using one another and taking advantage of one another, especially after you get to sort of this point of, you know, you're no longer neighbors. Like you kind of, you're no longer, you know, this self-governing local situation. And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, how you have to give up so much of your rights and you have to give up so much so that everybody can get along. And I appreciated this explanation. I think it was smart. I think it was right on. He delivered it beautifully.
2: That's a long monologue for any anyone to be doing. That's a long monologue that Harrison has to deliver there, an unbroken monologue. And
1: he did it very well without it being like uh, too over the top. You know, he could have raised his voice. He could have done a bunch of things that could have seemed like too much. But it was just like a life lesson. You know, it was like Tuesdays with Maury kind of thing. You know, like, let's sit down and let's just talk about how life works and how the world around you works. Again, you're just watching this mentorship between, you know, the
2: generations. That was the thing I liked. I think the most about it, even maybe more than the words, it was the temperament with which he responded because it would have been easy for Jacob, a man of in his 70s, to, to be all, you listen here, young buck, you know, you're a fucking Dunton and don't you compare me to a Whitfield and let me tell you what for. But he, he takes the a complete opposite tack. He makes it a literal teaching moment. It's a very long monologue, but it's, it's even tempered and it is like a teacher in like a college classroom talking about why things are the way they are and the dangers that are present in them, you know, Maybe not, maybe not history, but more maybe like a philosophy class about why a philosophy class on man, and that man will always try to control man. Government will eventually always become a tool by which they will try and exercise that control.
1: Do you feel like this was, you know, uh, Taylor Sheridan's, uh, you know, commentary on, you know, what was to come in
2: the world? I think it's Taylor Sheridan's commentary on the world as Jacob and the Duttons see it in the Yellowstone universe. I think it's Taylor Sheridan's commentary on the world as he sees the world now. Yeah. Because we are seeing it. This was setting the table for Jacob history wise. But now he's going to apply it to the current situation because remember Jack's question wasn't he wasn't. He even says because Kara says Jack and, and he's he says, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but he, he's asking a question. He's like, why is it bad for Whitfield to do, but it's okay for you to do? Because you're doing the same thing. You're using the livestock commission to enforce laws that benefit you. And you're making the laws and enforcing laws. You're being judge, jury, and executioner, literally being executioner sometimes. So why is that okay for you to do, but not Whitfield? Isn't he doing the same thing? Let's get to Jacob's explanation about uh, about
0: why and, and how and how it plays out. I created the commission to protect the way this family provides for itself. How it protects the land. Well, isn't Whiffield doing the same thing? The exact same thing. Unfortunately for him, what's good for his way of life is not good for ours. What about right and wrong? No such thing. Can't think that way. You can only think about what's good for... This ranch, what's good for your family. That's it. Then you use their
2: rules to do it. And this is the this is the finale to the preservation con- conversation that he had with Cower last week, right? This is this is what comes next. I want to preserve this land so they don't build a city over your grave in the under the aspens. This is how I'm doing it, right? This is the continuation and the fa- finale of that conversation.
1: You know, we've had this conversation quite a bit throughout 1883 and 1923. The concept of this, there is no right and wrong. It all just depends on where you're sitting, you know, at the table and what it is that your group needs and how you're willing to, you know, handle that. This is a finite resources situation. You know, if they blow up the land, there is no land for the ranch to be on. Can animals be there anymore if they're like upstream and all that stuff? You have to make a choice between like which person is going to be successful in this. Now, again, you talked about this very intelligently last episode when you said the trouble with some of this stuff is that we know that we haven't met any minors in... Current day Yellowstone, and we know the Duttons still have the ranch. What do you think about that? Does it take some of the teeth out of these conversations when it's like right, wrong? Who should be doing what? What about Whitfield? Like, does it take the teeth out of that if it's like yeah, but we know Whitfield can't can't be you know, the winner.
2: It doesn't really for a couple of reasons for me. One, because when you look at a timeline of history, you're only getting the 10,000 foot view, right? You're only seeing the ultimate winners. And so we know the Duttons are the ultimate winners here, but you're losing the individual battles along the way when you look at that 10,000 foot view timeline. So, So I like that. I like digging into... How are they going to get there? Because it seems like it's stacked against them. They're squeezed on all sides. Whitfield has more money than God. He literally has a federal, a federally regulated commission now at his power, which, which you have to imagine would trump a state-run livestock commission agency. Uh, you know, all the cards are in his favor. So how? How do they overcome the adversity? The show is well-written enough, and I think it is engrossing enough, that even though I know— I know the future. I know the spoilers that the Duttons are going to win. It's still a good ride for me to be on to see the individual battles, right? I love the Civil War. The Civil War is a fascinating topic to me. And yes, I know the North wins, but there are so many battles in the Civil War that the North didn't win. There were so many times that the North was literally days, hours away from defeat, away, away, away from losing the Civil War. Those individual battles are fascinating to learn about because they. They did win. How? How? They were losing the war for so long. The American, the colonists were losing the American Revolutionary War for so many years. But they won how the individual battles that turned that tide, that made it a decisive victory. Those details of that history, fascinating to me. So for me, it's catnip. I love it. I want to know everything about it. <laughs> I want to know every every battle of Paradise Valley I'm, I'm here for.
1: Understanding the battles and understanding the journey that they all had to go through in order to get where they are in modern day. Why I think it's important that we know this is really because it gives the backing to why they hold on to it so tightly. If it had been a cakewalk this whole time and no one ever challenged the land then, you know, their responses to things might seem very over the top or very like, why are you acting like this? But when you realize that they've just been pummeled with just constant barrage of people trying to come and get it all the time, I think that there's you understand their desperation. You understand the level of gratitude for having the land and you understand why they so ferociously fight for it
2: which is, I think, one of the whole reasons for 1883 and for 1923. It really is. That's why they're called uh, Yellowstone origin stories. Because we're also, well, because so many people are invested in the Dutton family and Yellowstone main show, that is, let's not forget, that's the reason that these stories are being told. Think back to why we even have these stories. Taylor Sheridan... Had a had a had a flashback pitch that featured Tim McGraw explaining the history of the earliest settlement of the Yellowstone, a Paramount and uh, a Paramount executive heard the pitch and, and said, Taylor, this is an entire series, This is an entire story that needs to be told. That's why this is, that's why we have these shows. It wasn't because Taylor originally planned this. It wasn't, he wasn't originally thinking about it. It was literally a, an aside afterthought flashback that literally has spawned into an empire of, of origin stories and prequel series because John Dutton and all of the Duttons and Beth and Casey, less Casey, but Beth and John are so fiercely protective of the land, and literally will kill and murder and and blow up rivers and redirect the course of water flow, and all of the things that they do in Mainline Yellowstone. This is why. This is why. Last week's episode. It's not regents. It's preservation. He doesn't fault Whitfield for doing what Whitfield is doing. Whitfield is a minor. He doesn't fault him for that. He says, unfortunately, his way of life conflicts with our way of life. And there is no right and wrong. You can't think like that. I love that. There's there's no bombastic answer to that. What about right and wrong? Doesn't exist. You can't think about it like that. It's only about what's good for this family and this ranch. That's it. Hard stuff. That's
1: a child's way of looking at it. What's right and what's wrong. Right? Like that like it's it's exactly perfection that he asks, but what about right and wrong? Because it's like, oh Bubba, that's not how adults work. It's it's there's all shades of gray.
2: It's not how man works. Did you not hear the story of the five hundred? Like that only right. works in small tribes. As soon as you get over a, a certain level, as soon as, as as soon as the stakes are high enough and money is introduced and, and all of that and power is at play, right and wrong doesn't matter anymore. It's you win or I win that's it there you know it's either mutual destruction or someone is standing on top of the hill winning and someone is dead in a ditch (laughs) or dead dead on the dead on the border of wyoming
1: guess who's standing on the top of i guess we should say like an island
2: spencer and alex yeah were you surprised? <laughs> uh, we we talked a little bit about this. Are you surprised that they're in Sicily? Why didn't they go to Marseille? Do you have any reason why they would be stopping early and not just going all the way with the ship?
1: No, I don't know. I don't know why we're stopping here. But, I mean, it's it's a beautiful place. As soon as they were starting to pull up, I was like, oh, man, this is gorgeous. I badly want to vacation here. I was very, very jealous.
2: I have been trying very hard to figure out which city in Sicily, they're being dropped off on. I'm currently at that they're in Syracuse, Syracuse, as it's translated, which is on the southeast coast of Sicily, because the larger cities like Terramina is on the coast, but they would have to kind of go up towards like where Sicily and Italy kind of are joined a little bit by like the Strait of Messina. So that doesn't really make sense that they would go all the way up there. Palermo is on the northern coast of Sicily. So they'd really have to go all the way around Sicily. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. So Syracuse is on like the southeast coast of Sicily. So that kind of makes sense because of how they're coming from the Suez Canal across that maybe that's where they are. Plus there is a fort there um, that that is located in Syracuse. Which could be the fort that I think we're seeing in the background in a couple of the shots. And there was a grand hotel. Uh, which is still in business today. It's the Grand Hotel something or other that does have some balcony shots that maybe could look like or be standing in for the balcony scenes that we're seeing in this episode. I've been trying hard to figure it out because the signs the signs that probably indicate where they are are all blurred in all of the camera angles. I took pictures of them. I've been trying to blow them up on all my computers and TV screens. I've been working hard the last day and a half trying to figure out where in Sicily they are. But my best guess right now is that they're in Syracuse, but I have no idea that's true or not
1: thank goodness they're safe mike they're safe uh i do have to ask you if you were if you were first off here would you be more spencer want to go find a hotel and get that shower and whatnot or are you more let's find some pasta and wine
2: pasta or pasta yeah, you're, not well, British, not you're not giving it the British. You're not giving it the British intonation. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I'm not going to say,
2: Spencer darling, you're not in control here. We need pasta and wine. <laughs> I, I love a good trattoria. I already, so I already so did are my. Are you pasta and wine, or are you? Yeah, let's I'm, head to the hotel and I'm, get I'm, showered get get up. Get me arancini di rossi and put it in my belly. <laughs> arancini di, di riso and put it in my belly. I want some Sp- uh, Sicilian rice balls. They are fucking delicious. Eat. I'm going to be super famished, and it's good food. So I want to play the. I want to play a couple of clips here because Captain Shipley and Spencer have an interesting conversation that I'm sure you have an opinion on because it deals with the way men behave so I'm curious what your take on this little conversation was before they disembarked
0: I'll have a skiff on you and it'll be faster I could do without customs boarding the vessel understood I'm in your debt you're in no such thing. I think perhaps the sea is the last place where men do the right thing for that reason alone. Maybe the whole world should be put to sea. The whole world would drown. If ever I find myself in the company of a leopard, I'd appreciate some assistance. I didn't tell you I was honored. Famous Spencer Dutton. In case you were unaware. Becoming aware. Speaking of wildcats, tie you by the tail with your new bride.
2: What do you think of this idea that the sea is the last place that men do the right thing? just for the sake of doing the right thing. It's very romantic, no?
1: It is. There's so much danger, the ocean with the sea, if you will. It does make you feel like it's all of humanity versus the ocean, right? So if there's someone out there that needs help, you don't even, you don't worry about what side they're on or where they're from or what anything. It's it's all humans versus the sea at all times. Always when you have a common enemy, it's easy to be best of friends, right? Allies.
2: I think that's right. Yeah, when life and death is literally always on the line.
1: Yeah. Like you get you don't have the luxury of being picky. You'd be dead in a second. Right.
2: You have you have to follow a code, I guess, of action. Uh I thought there was this interesting callback. I mean, this is a this is a callback all the way to when Spencer met Alex in that bar. This idea that Spencer Dunton is a famous, famous man. Even a sea captain knows you're famous Spencer Dunton, if you didn't know, if you weren't aware.
1: <laughs> He's like, I'm I'm becoming aware.
2: <laughs> I like one. I like that Spencer is not just being super humble, uh, you know, and and showing humility here. He's he's acknowledging. He's like, Jesus Christ, I guess I am becoming famous, you know. I'm becoming aware that I am, in fact, famous. But it was a nice callback, though, because it's not something we've heard talked about now in six episodes, right? But here we are, uh, and and even the sea captain of the Lambridge knows who Spencer Dutton is. You didn't need to tell me; I knew who you were. You think it's the eyes that give him away? You think it's the Ooh, dreamy hunter so. with the eyes?
1: They are sassy. He is also the dirtiest man around.
2: You know he stank like funk. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think he does. He watched a lot of uh, Indiana Jones movies with Harrison Ford when he was getting ready for this role. He was like, I want to smell like indie. indie.
1: <laughs> I think there's a lot of leather smell. <laughs>
2: like really I want to I want to take a step back and talk about Alex and Spencer because they have been such a major thrust of this show. I feel like the show has devoted a lot of time developing these characters. This is the penultimate episode of the season only one more hour of television left after this. This was a 52 minute or 54 minute. I'm blanking. It's one of those two minute episode. We don't see Spencer and Alex until seven minutes. It was seven minutes left in the episode when they first appear. The episode closes out with them and we don't go away from them, but only seven minutes of them after how much time we have spent with them. A lot of that time was taken up by Tiona and Hank and runs his horse and and, uh, Pete Plenty Cloud and their story. I think they definitely ate in to the Spencer and Alex minutes. But structurally, because we were talking about the structure of this episode, it struck me very oddly when they first appeared. I looked at the clock. I was like, this is the first time we're seeing them. And there's only seven minutes left.
1: I kind of thought we weren't going to see them at all. I was like, "Okay, I guess we just left them on the boat. Like, you know, I guess we're not going to see them this episode, which felt completely weird. But you're right. Seven minutes seemed like that's not enough.
2: Here's my thing. If they hadn't shown them at all this episode... I would have been okay with that if it meant in the finale they were either in Montana or very close to getting there. Because then we could have said the episode that they took off and didn't show them at all, that was all them doing a lot of transportating transportating I just made that word up. They a lot of moving across <laughs> the globe to get home. But now they did show us in the very end of this episode and they're not very close to getting home. Italy is a even in modern standards. Italy is a very long plane ride from from New York. Uh it is it is even longer by boat. They're not terribly close to getting home. So by showing us them I think they're pretty much putting a nail in the coffin that they are not getting back to the ranch before the end of the season. Not unless there is a massive time jump in the finale. That's what my TV watching skills were telling me. Okay. I want to play this clip only because 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 they're definitely not getting... I Well, I don't want to say definitely because if I'm wrong, I'll look silly. But it feels like they're not going to get back to the ranch this season. This Mm-mm. clip seemed like it took on more significance than maybe... It was meant to, but now it's all I can think about. Let's take a listen. This is the first mate as they're getting off of their little skiff.
3: Mussolini's well, not a fan of folks carrying guns. Different rules in Sicily, but if you go inland, you'll need to hide that thing. Mafia won't like it too much either,
0: though. What's the Mafia?
3: Stay here long. You'll find out, mate.
2: Motherfuckers, you're introducing Mussolini and the mafia into this show. What are you doing to me? What are you doing?
1: Your Italian heart is bursting.
2: Well, one, it's crazy that we're in a world where Mussolini is in charge. Like, let's talk about where we are in the world <laughs> events. Mussolini comes to power in the March on Rome in October of 1922. So Mussolini is now the prime minister of Italy. It, Italy is still a kingdom now. The last king, uh, Victor Emmanuel III, is is on the throne He'll be on the throne longer than Mussolini will be in power. But Mussolini comes to power in October of 1922, and he remains the prime minister essentially a dictator, the fascist dictator, because the king is pretty powerless. It's a figurehead position once Mussolini comes to power. But he's in charge of Italy. He runs Italy until 1943, when he's forced out of office during in the middle of World War II. Mussolini's in power. This 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 major character of the 20th century is in power. That's where we are. Talk about real-world things. We get so caught up in this little part of Montana where nothing super historical happens. Spencer and Alex are very much in the thick of real-world events. Fascism is weird. Is happening hitler tried and failed a coup with his uh with his political party in germany this year like real world events are starting to take shape in 1923 that are going to affect the, literally the next 20 years of world global history it's all starting now it's all percolating now we're in the primordial ooze of 20th century world events are happening now and they've literally now ended up on an island where major things happen to say nothing of the mafia <laughs> Are we going to have to deal with the fucking Mafia and Mussolini before these two get out of Italy?
1: I cannot believe we would get into that. I I think we're just world building. I don't think we're I don't think we're actually going to get into that. But but where did these two end up? In the finale episode, I, I gotta think it's we are only gonna get as far as maybe London, maybe, maybe London. but I don't even that think feels so. Right to me.
2: But but maybe not. Not with Mussolini and mafia talk. No, yeah. I have to see seeing mafia because that's how they said in the show, and it's making me laugh. But I mean, they, so he says I book passage for Thursday. Now we don't know what day of the week it is, but assume it's as far away as possible. So you got the fucking mafia now. They're not gonna make it. They eat as many rice balls as you can because you're probably gonna get kidnapped or some shit before the the oh, boat leaves no. on Thursday.
1: Kidnapping, you think?
2: Well, we got this you got this motherfucker showing up. Alexandra I mean that's going to put some kicks in the plans. She's sucking, she's sitting on his lap, sucking his face, and the fiancé shows up. That feels like that's going to throw some wrench into the Thursday de- disembarkation plans.
1: Do you know how much I was staring at them kissing because of how you commented that they kiss like so well in our last episode? So this time when they were kissing, I was like really like like put my eyeball against the screen. Like they
2: were going like, at what it. What exactly?
1: For, how exactly do they kiss?
2: For a cafe, for a cafe crowded with. People, uh, mostly high Uh, end vocators.
1: You know what? Alex and Elizabeth read from the same book. First things first, crawl on your man's lap.
2: I don't think you disagree with that that method too much. Nah,
1: I'm for it. <laughs>
2: but uh, I mean, they're going at it. I mean, he can't even ingest his uh, Arancini di no, so rice ball. Only
1: if she has it in her mouth and she baby birds it.
2: Hot. Hot. <laughs> uh, all right, we got it. We got to talk about the fiance showing up and what that means. But let's play the last significant clip of the episode. This is uh, what I'm calling the pesky demons clip.
0: It's the first time I've been in a restaurant with somebody since I left Montana.
3: Hesky, these demons of yours. The further we move from danger, the more we'll see them, I fear.
0: We're not moving further from danger.
3: Eat. I demand it. What is it? Rice.
0: Don't look like rice.
3: (laughs) It's rice rolled in flour and fried.
0: How do you know the food here?
3: I'm British. All we do is travel the world and become experts in the places we visit.
0: That don't make sense.
3: Like I said, I'm British.
0: So your culture is based on pretending to be experts in things that you know nothing about.
3: No, baby. It's the French. <laughs> And they
2: just smile. My holy We need loftier goals. No, I don't. I liked a lot of things about that. One, solid dig on the French. Really enjoyed it. It made me laugh pretty hard. I think I have also already made a comment about the French in this episode. To all of our French listeners, I'm sorry. It's 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 my American right to make fun of you.
1: <laughs> oh my god!
2: <laughs> no. She, I, I can't remember her calling him baby before, but it worked for me. I was like, more of that. <laughs> but she says, no, baby.
1: <laughs> it's very Austin Powers. It was,
2: it was a little Austin Powers, especially how I'm saying it. But yeah, but, but because she doesn't, they, she, she says, darling, you're an Amish She never says baby. That's a very American kind of thing to say.
1: It is. I agree with that. It is very American. I thought it actually kind of stuck out as like a, do people say baby during this time? Because I don't know that they do. Well, I'll
2: make you horny. <laughs>
1: See, and here's the thing. The two of them just doing that kind of shit to each other, being like baby and all that, that's hotter than the champagne butt scene. A thousand
2: percent
1: <laughs> It's because we don't get to see this. We don't get to see romance. We don't get to see, you know, the that that intimacy, that that sensual part of of a relationship. We you can turn on your computer and see champagne and butts any day of the week, but you're not gonna get baby dog like she
2: does, you know? I Back it up when they're first getting off the boat and and, she, and he wants to go to hotel and she says, I need my pasta and my wine. And she just walks away from him and she mocks him for being in control and you secretly like being controlled, right? That's an American thing. So he says, I'll follow you, but I won't walk behind you. And her retort is... Are you sure it's a pretty good view? Like, I appreciate a woman knows when the goods are good back there. Like, she's <laughs> oh she's God. all confidence, but it's very it's it's a the thousand sass, times I the, love it, it's sass. a thousand times more sexy than anything happening up in Banner's bedroom. A thousand times more so, and and it, just with words, words and sass and confidence really worked for me. Agreed. This was great stuff for me.
1: It was. So, what do we think now? This fiance has come back in on the scene. I mean. What is this setting up for us? Is there going to be a tug of war for Alex?
2: I mean, she's a married woman now. I mean, she's going to be wearing a ring that the fiance will have to notice, I would imagine. And that is a legitimate marriage that they were put through on the boat. So I don't know, because it's not just the fiance. It's the fiance and the entire wedding party is all there. Are they there because that was just part of the world tour, and even with her running off, they had, like, non-refundable tickets? Are they searching the globe for her somehow? What are the chances of all the gin joints in all the world that they walk into that one while she's sucking on his face with a rice ball?
1: She must have known her fiancé's travel plans.
2: She must have...
1: It hasn't been that long. So what does this mean? Maybe
2: this is the plan. Maybe they don't make it to London. Maybe her parents are traveling with the wedding party. Why not go to Marseille? Maybe they have to go to Sicily because she needs them to meet him before she goes on the final journey to Montana. There is a countess of Sussex credited in this episode who we haven't actually been introduced to as a character but a countess is a peerage kind of title right it's the it would be the wife of an earl or a count himself it's it's someone of nobility in the in, in the british parlance what if that's her mother what if she what if the look on her face was more I didn't give Spencer any warning of this and I have to bite the bullet but I totally knew this was the thing that was going to happen
1: I find it hard to believe she didn't know and that that and since they're traveling with this huge group, it's not as if that stuff wouldn't have been planned out.
2: I mean, way not to give Spencer a heads up because I don't think she (laughs) did, but uh, we're going to have to have a very uncomfortable conversation with the fiance. But I also want you to be my parents who are here. Uh, That's (laughs) my theory. My working theory is going to be that she manipulated them coming to this place in Sicily instead of going to Marseille, which is the only thing that really makes sense. It gets it's actually closer to London to go to Marseille. Plus, you don't have to do the whole getting off the boat early thing. They got a sweet gig with their fruit basket and shower sex. Like, why get off the boat if you don't have to? Um, They're safe, for God's sakes. Knowing the fiancé is going to be, knowing the wedding party is going to be there makes a lot of sense that she manipulated this.
1: I like that. I like that prediction. It's an excellent
2: one. Meeting the parents is a suitable finale encounter for them not being at the ranch. We don't get the ranch, but we do get the awkward Spencer uh, meets his his new in-laws.
1: Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that as a finale.
2: You know, she had said these pesky demons reveal themselves. And then, the, then this guy shows up. Alexandra! I put in my notes, pesky demons indeed.
1: <laughs> I was going to say pesky demons indeed. <laughs> That's really funny. I love it. I love it. And you know what? It's about time Alex does have some explaining to do. I'd like to know what her business is. And I think we're going to find out.
2: I mean, Alex, no name. I mean, we know everything else about the show. I mean, we don't know the sex workers' names, but but we know everyone else's last names in the show. We even know Chad, uh, what did I say his name was? Uh, Chadwick Benton. We, we even yes. know his name.
1: Chadwick Chad. Uh,
2: Chadwick Chad Benton. But we don't know Alex's last name, a major character in the
1: show. We're going to find out, I suspect.
2: Oh, man. All right. We've been putting it off, but we got to get to it. We've got to talk about everything that happened down in the Badlands and on the reservation this week. We've got to go to Tiona and Hank and Runs' his Horse and Pete Plenty Clouds. Uh, I want to set the table here because we're introduced to Pete Pete Plenty Clouds. That is the name of Hank's son. He is being played by... Cole Brings Plenty. Now, if you're a fan of Yellowstone, Brings Plenty should ring a bell for you because Thomas Rainwater's right hand man is named Mo. Mo Brings Plenty. That is the name of the actor. He actually uses his real name as his character's name on the show. So it's Mo Brings Plenty is the actor. Cole is his nephew.
1: Love it. Love keeping it in the family. Yeah.
2: So if you go to his Instagram, he has a couple of pictures. Like, he's been around the Yellowstone cast. He's he's done some. He's He was like an extra, a Native American extra in one of the Yellowstone episodes, I think, back in season three. But this is him getting to play, like, a major role now. So he thanked his uncle for getting him on the show and stuff. It was nice. So, yeah. So Cole, Cole Brings Plenty is playing Hank's son here, and he is the nephew of Mo Brings Plenty, who I got to tell you about. I don't know if you've ever watched the credits. Give me a little tangent here. There is a credit for the American Indian Affairs Coordinator, and there's another credit for the American Indian Affairs Assistant. The credited American Indian Affairs Coordinator for the show is Mo Brings Plenty. Sarah Ann Brings Plenty is his assistant, who I believe is his wife in real life. So Mo is very much involved on this show. He acts as like the liaison for Native American Affairs on the show. I thought that was really interesting. I, was, I just was going watching the credits and I saw his name. So I backed it up to take a little snapshot of that. I, I thought that was pretty cool that he actually has that kind of liaison role to the actual tribes and stuff.
1: It's wonderful. It's what makes the show feel authentic and feel like you know we're really getting different people's points of view. They're all being depicted in the same historical time.
2: Uh, yes, it does feel like it adds a, an air of authenticity to to know that people like Mo and Sarah are are being involved and behind the scenes and and helping tell the story. Which, if you want, remember, in eighteen eighty three, was a big part of Taylor's reasoning for have Native Americans in that show was their story has never been adequately or correctly told on screen in any kind of form and he really wanted to do as much as he could to relate their experience. Uh, that's from an interview he gave during eighteen eighty three. I have no reason but to think that's also true here in nineteen
1: twenty three. Let's just jump in, Mike. Don't jump don't don't play around with me here. This was a scary, scary part of the
2: show (laughs) last week when we talked about Isachi being killed and, and and what made it hurt so badly was the disrespectful Insignificance value put on her life that she was her her murder was just this afterthought with no consequence, and we wondered aloud who was going to find her and we worried that someone in her family was going to find her Tiona or something. Well, it turns out Runs His Horse is the one who finds her. Runs His Horse, being played by Michael Spears, uh, we've met him briefly already. He's the one that Zane gives the sheep to uh, early on in the show, but this is the first time we really are getting to know him. What's your first take on Runs His Horse? in this scene and, and, and dealing with the fallout of his of finding his mother just inexplicably dead on the floor and having to bury her, that whole scene. I thought it was very powerful. I'm curious what your take on it was.
1: I thought it was extremely powerful. I, I really, I felt every emotion that he was going through. I mean, when he was going through the house and the way that he was, you know, he's so tall and and grand of man that when he would like stoop over to be like looking at all of the, the you know, the tracks and the ground and trying to look through the rooms and everything, there was something that was just so methodical. And 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 yet like like his heart was breaking. This was his mother, I assume. The care that he took in burying her the way that he made sure everything was like meticulously done for her and then like I appreciated that he kept his cool in terms of being able to be so smart and methodical and looking for clues and trying to figure things out you know so many other people could have walked into that and been like went into a rage you know like smashed things or did things or burn things or did whatever and he was just like just matter of fact like this is what I found this is what I'm going to do this is my next step I you know I'm going to take care of my mother properly all those steps it just it felt so so real and the way that you would hope that somebody would handle the situation like like i actually trust him very much i really i felt instantly calm when i saw him and i felt safe i felt like okay he is going to be the key to to getting this mess cleaned up for tiona and you know it just it really i mean it felt so good to see him because he really did feel like a hero like was coming on the scene like you know finally we have somebody who is going to be able to save her fingers crossed fingers crossed
2: he struck such a great balance of shock and grief and reverence when he's doing the burial but at the same time he's having to deal with Pete Plenty Cloud and and hearing that his daughter is in some kind of trouble and she has escaped the she has escaped the school and that is an issue but he's also got his dead mother laying collecting flies in the in the room and
1: oh my gosh can i just comment on the makeup job on her face she's credited in the episode so
2: it it, i I feel like they did have the actress there to some extent doing it or
1: oh yeah no but it was awful i mean that the to to find your your parent like that so gruesome and and really i mean really hit home how long she'd been lying there too
2: which was our fear i mean again it really just hammers home the the little value placed on her life by the government and, and just the way that he leads Pete Plenty Cloud to it, like he could have just told him, obviously it was the government, but who shoes their horses? He make he does the detective work, but then he has to share it again automatically in this mentor tutelage role, right? Like, like you need to be aware of this is what we're dealing with. Men who shoe their horses do this kind of thing to my mother and leave her here. Let's not beat around the bush about what's happening. You need to understand. So the grace under fire in being able to keep his cool and bury his mother properly and give that respect while dealing with that shock. I, it was really, it was a poignant scene with not a ton of dialogue, and the dialogue that is being done is being done in their native language. In the, it, they're, they're actually speaking Crow in this scene. I thought that was interesting because they're they're supposed to be Crow Indians. So it's consistent, but I like when they're using like the authentic language. But let's move off of him for a second because then we see him, we'll see him again in a few minutes, right? He goes back to his teepee, he, he arms himself, he knows that whatever's going to happen with Tiona, whatever is happening, especially in light of whatever happened to his mother and the shoot horses representing the government, weapons are going to need to be involved he does that but while he's doing that p plenty cloud doesn't wait for him weren't you screaming at the screen? wait given what's happening here wait for him to finish help him dig the hole like i know he says i'll be along i'm not coming yet but man the second that they were separated i was so worried about everyone <laughs>
1: yeah I mean, because honestly the dad just feels like the the safety force field, and i I wanted I wanted Hank's son to stay within the force field because it felt like the second you get out of that you know you're you're in bad trouble and i respected the fact that maybe he needed to do the barrel alone maybe he needed to shed some tears and maybe that wasn't something he wanted to do in front of anyone else you know he knows the younger boy is going to ride slower likely and and you know possibly make mistakes and stuff like that so you know it was okay with me that he went ahead but it was nerve-wracking because i feel like anyone who's outside of the dad's arms reach felt very vulnerable
2: you know it's it's a private affair and he's not not family like clearly he knows i mean he knows who he is and he knows hank and he asked about the sheep so he understands who this person is but it's not family and it's a private matter but in hindsight given what happens to pete laying up against the rocks i mean i appreciate him taking a shot and and doing the burning the burning stick and stuff but that is not an effectual plan to take on three guys like i
1: thought he was going to actually be a better fighter to me be honest too with you. Like, or I,
2: I, thought I thought he was thought... going to have some kind of real weapon on him
1: yeah. Or like under the blanket because how he had the blanket around him and the like, way I he like was, throws
2: it off. Right.
1: Yeah. I thought there was going to be a little more like this was a little little more of a booby trap situation where like maybe he actually planned to to, you know, meet them right here for a reason. But it did not play out that way. And can I just tell you when that priest says that they were going to take him back to their school? I had like a guttural howl of like, no, <laughs> like I can't because I was so scared. I was thinking, oh, no, are we going to have a situation now where Hank is going to have to like trade for his son? You know, like if they have him and, and he has Yona, well, it would make sense that Hank would have to betray her and give give her over to get his son back. And I was like, oh, Oh, no, please don't let that be the sitch. Boy, I did not expect to happen what did happen.
2: Pete Plenty Cloud doesn't know that runs his horses on his way to save him. All he knows is that this priest is just being a sanctimonious prick. And even with all of that, he still has to call him on his hypocrisy. And I love that he did. It's the same. You see the common spirit that Tiona has in how she can only take the, the nuns and their bullshit for so long.
1: You know what I was comparing it to? I was comparing it actually more to Jack because they might actually be of similar age, like early 20s. And so when he is questioning, it actually ran really parallel to him questioning Jacob, like, wait, isn't this what you do? They were kind of coming from the same place. Like they were this the, the, the young mouthy guy, you know, who doesn't know how the world works, um, you know, decides to say more maybe than he should have.
2: Right, let's play the clip because the, this drove me crazy. Uh, he starts it off. The priest is starting off about how he how he's had all he's been in all these missions, and that when people embrace their teachings, they flourish. But then he says, "You people," and he says, "You people," a couple of times, and you know the that that you rebel against God and be and you suffer for it, and your suffering is your reward for for being heathens essentially, and and Pete listens to this and and he he listens to it and listens to it and finally he can't take any more let's take a listen
0: you're a priest I am holy man yes But you've killed in the name of God stolen what have I stolen the land you sit on I have stolen nothing. If hadn't stolen it. You wouldn't be here. You'd be somewhere else. I don't understand your pagan logic. Your God has all these laws. I know them. I study them. You're supposed to teach us laws, but you break them to teach them. So the laws mean nothing to you. Which means your God doesn't exist. You know it. Blasphemy! This oh. heathen. I didn't want to
2: keep going. One, the clip is getting along but you got the when he he kicks him and says blasphemy. He calls him a heathen. Like, dude, you're you're clearly confirming what he just said. Like, a real holy man would have a theological debate about it. Your answer is beating the shit out of it and starting to say the our father as you're preparing to kill him.
1: Dude, what a what a what a twisted use of the our father.
2: I went to a lot of years of Christian teaching. I went to four years of Catholic school. I went to a four year Christian college. Uh, I have taken many religion classes in my life. I am a fan and, and a student of comparative religions and world religions. What these fucking priests are doing in this show are is an abomination against God and 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 whatever every god against every god's teaching this is an abomination and and using the our father as you're preparing to kill this young boy
1: how twisted and messed
2: up. Because because you're thin skinned and your faith is so shallow. You don't even have faith. Your your bullshit is so shallow you can't take this 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 twenty something calling you on your hypocrisy. So your reaction is to kill him when he's completely defenseless. You're a piece of shit and you deserve everything and more when <laughs> uh, when runs his horse comes up and scalps him and then slices his throat.
1: Which whoa, I like that was another moment where I I, I was like jumping. <laughs> back like right. damn now you we know, did see that like, kind of stuff in
2: 1883 so that is in the universe that we is did,
1: we did and 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 you know it, he deserved it but at the same time it was it just it i was waiting for dad to come up like i was like come on dad come on dad like we know he's right behind you know like we know he's coming so i was like waiting waiting but the scalp like oh <laughs> i expected a shot in the back
2: when he shows up and he sends Pete Plenty Cloud to the horses, and then he arrives a minute later, and his mouth is all bloody. He says he ate his soul. He ate his heart, right? That's what we're thinking. Yeah, we yeah, we learned this. This is, this is this is this is a, a form of conquering your enemy, uh, yes. in addition to animals, right? To take in their yeah. their strength. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't show that because again, <laughs> just having a little bloody mouth, we got it. We understood what was happening. Right. We, we understood. Didn't need to
1: see it. Right, and he said, you know, I, I ate his soul.
2: Yeah, he said he ate his soul. So now these guys are safe, and they know that there are other two priests out there. Pete Plenty Cloud says there are two more priests. They're going for Tiona. So they get on the horses, and, and they start to run. Unfortunately, they don't make it in time before the two priests find Hank and Tiona. I don't want to belabor this point. This was another difficult scene when that priest kicks her to the ground and rips her sh- her shirt open. This was all the, the resident school all over again. I was expecting the very worst. And the only thing I could think of, and I think you were thinking it too, what was the one thing you were thinking while you were watching this scene happen?
1: Please, Hank.
2: Come on, Hank. Why is Hank taking so long? He's watching all of this from the doorway. They showed that
1: there's just that split second scene where he like pops his head out and looks and sees the situation. So I'm like, okay, he knows he's going to be right there. You know, he's just going to be right there. And instead, there's like punch after punch after punch. I'm like, Hank, get in here.
2: When he rips her shirt open, like, clearly he's doing it to confirm that she's a girl and that she's the one they're looking for. How can we not just assume that she's about to get raped right here on the ground? I was, I I could not deal with it. I I was, I was like, this show is going to fucking do this again. This is all Tiona 2.0. When P. Plenty Cloud gets drugged off literally by his hair, I was just thinking, Tiona 2.0. I was not physically ready for it. I was so happy that Hank finally showed up with his shotgun and started taking people out. And I liked how cool he was about it. He was very slow and methodical, just like runs his horse. He, I would have wished he was faster with it. But when he finally did start shooting, he was extremely methodical he wasn't rushing he he probably should have made sure the guy was actually dead
1: you think <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I like the Grace under fire though. I guess that's my point. Right? I do.
1: I I did appreciate that too. I mean, he was because he was so resigned to it. You know, he was so resigned to these these men, which I gotta say, putting those priests on horseback with their long black capes and like the and their hats and everything, boy, did they look like every science fiction demony thing on a horse? Yeah. Did he I mean, I don't care if it's Harry Potter, I don't care if it's Lord of the Rings, I don't care what it is. But well, it's very revelation, on right? Horseback. It's, Very yep, yeah,
2: you know the the four horsemen right? Or the death three rise. of the four yeah, How right. about that?
1: Totally freaky, totally freaky, and and everything they said and everything they represented was horrifying.
2: It's it's such a twisted abomination on on, on God and uh, yes. it's it's horrible. It's horrible. But then you put Tiona in this place where then Hank gets shot and he's dead. There's there's no saving him. Looking at his body as the way it's the way the way the blood pack blew out of his back. Hank is dead and Tiona is all injured because she had just gotten fucked up right in this fight but she has to carry this rock off and again this is this is Kara and the banner uh, hitman from the opening scene right she's approaching with a gun and having to reload it he takes the moment to try and pull his gun while she's fumbling with reloading the gun except for in this case it works out Tiona is able to get the rock and stumble over and you see her struggling with the weight of this rock and all of the energy it's taking to lift it over her head and bash him in while he's trying to reload the gun with his one eye it was it was a sick little parallel between the opening shot of the show and now the closing shot of this of this episode of this penultimate episode
1: man can we please 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 just have this be a closed door on those people chasing her down like like do you think they're going to have another like his father what's his name Renald. is he going to come into scene in the finale like are we gonna have to get to that
2: my guess is the next time we see the school it is some band of Tiona Pete Plenty Cloud runs his horse and and what other other posse they can put together going to make war on that resident school
1: Oh, man, that would be amazing. I would love that. That would be so great. I
2: can't believe this goes unanswered. This, you know, these are proud people who who will take a lot and and have taken a lot at the hands of the government and the hands of these religious fools. But I think there is a line to how much they will take and war is being made upon them. I have to think they have to respond in some kind.
1: Boy, would that be amazing? I really hope that happens. And I'm, you know, at this point, I'm glad that the three that we knew were hunting them are dead, you know, now. We're, we're going to be left with dad, Tiona and Pete.
2: I mean, Pete Plenty Cloud lost his dad. So now it's Tiona in this position of, you know, Tiona was the one who didn't have her father and was relying on Hank. Now it's going to be Pete Plenty Cloud who doesn't have a father and has to rely on Tiona and runs his horse. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hope this is the door. I hope this is the closing of the door on tiona and all of the good guys in this storyline being abused i want them to take the fight now to their abusers that's what i would like to see i would like to that see some amazing some war be made on these fools
1: i just i want to see dad and tiona reunite and and make her feel safer just two seconds on screen, make her feel safe.
2: Tiona doesn't even know that she's the proximate cause of her grandmother being killed. Like, that's going to mm-hmm. be another gut punch that she doesn't even know has happened and is coming to her. She doesn't even know mm-hmm. that she lost a member of her family. Because she ran away mm-hmm. from the school, that's a whole other thing that she's going to have to deal with and reckon and reconcile. With. Well, in Hank's death, obviously, but she knew Hank for a couple of days. Like she knew her grandmother presumably for a while, because remember, her her mother is gone and her father is always off with the herd. Her grandmother was probably literally her closest family member to her, and now is dead because she ran away from the school. Unintended consequences Very that much. she's going to have to reconcile with. Uh, we we are done. We are done with this penultimate episode of nineteen twenty
1: three. Do you have any predictions or what or things you? like to see in the finale?
2: I would like to see...
1: Obviously, we, are, we already said the Tiona entire storyline. We want them to take war to the residential school. We do want to see one. that.
2: I want to see something something significant happen with Alex and Spencer's journey. Either time jump us and make them very close to home. Even, I don't need them to be home. I just need to know that when the episode ends, it feels like they're like just over the horizon. Or something like she like the meeting of the parents right and learning uh, learning a significant block of alex's backstory i need one or the other it can't just be some more peril bullshit happens to these two i need something non-perilous other than emotional peril maybe happening to these two like tell us about like alex's that. backstory or move them for for closer to montana it can't okay. be the mafia and it can't be fucking mussolini it has to be alex's family and, and or Closer to Montana. Because so.
1: what a surprise this has been that Spencer's not home yet. Like, we never would have guessed that we would make it to this point and Spencer's not home yet.
2: But it does make sense if, in fact, they are committed to 16 episodes of the show. Oh,
1: for sure. It, it makes sense. But me and you didn't see this coming. We didn't see us taking so no. long No, I think we, I think
2: we thought that he'd be home by, like, episode five. I thought five. episode
1: three or four we were, like, expecting him to well, be I home. Well, I figured
2: five because it would be, like, the back end, right? The first four and then the final four is him home and then him making war.
1: For sure. Absolutely. What about for Jacob and Kara? What do, I mean, is is this just going to be like a huge like shocker when Banners just like walk in the street the next day?
2: The the plan always was right. Would they set it out that Whitfield wasn't going to make a move on the ranch until the spring. Now that Jacob is alive, that has to change Whitfield's plans. But I don't know. I think they're still kind of in a holding pattern. I think Jacob and Kara for sure are going to try and be in a holding pattern until the springtime because that's when they're planning on Spencer showing up over the horizon coming down the road, right? They're not going to be looking to do any fighting until he's home. So I think they're really going to try and stay in a holding pattern as best they can. I imagine there's going to be some political or Bozeman politicking with, between the sheriff and Banner and Clive and Whitfield and and trying to keep him prison. There's probably going to be some kind of trial, some Your Honor-esque, you know, throne trial bullshit we're going to have to sit through. I think it's going to be a little spinning wheels. I think next week is is going to be a lot of Tiona and ha- and and her dad and Pete and I think a lot of Alex and Alex and Spencer.
1: I like that very much. I think that's a a very good way to end this episode. This is Caroline.
2: And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Yellowstone Podcast 1923 edition. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. It helps in promotion of the show. It helps other people find the show. It lets Spotify and Apple know that you like us and you want us to make more shows. Um, I want to read a couple of the reviews that have come in in the last few guys, last few days, you guys have been leaving some wonderful comments for us, and they they really warm our hearts when we see it. It really validates what we're doing here and the effort we put into it. So I'm going to read a couple. So this one is from Aunt Dolly. Best 1923 coverage, five stars. Mike and Caroline do a fabulous job. Great in-depth discussion about each episode. Love it. Keep up the good work. Hope you two will cover the announced sequel, 1944. Caroline and I will be covering whatever prequel shows continue to be produced. I I think we could say that. We're we're pretty much locked into the prequel duties. Uh, This one is from Pina Colada. The best! Exclamation point, five stars. New listener. I'm a podcast junkie. And this is Top Notch. Awesome. Thank you. Last one I'm going to read from this one. I'm going to read a couple more in the uh, finale episode. This one is from Fran358. Love this podcast. I love this podcast, and the two hosts on this show are amazing.
1: Thank you, Fran. I love that
2: yeah just a few of the i I love a i love a podcast junkie also from pina colada coming in because i'm also a podcast junkie so it it warms my heart from one fan to another
1: we're really happy you guys are enjoying the enjoying our coverage it's important to us we put a lot of effort into this mike puts a ton of research into everything and putting together our outline so thank you guys so very much for listening
2: i hope you have some arancini di riso uh sicilian rice balls while you listen to this and and know that i'm jealous they are so fucking good get some marinara sauce um, oh, <laughs> I am got I got to go fucking eat. I got to go make some sauce. I'm, so I'm gonna hungry. go make some
1: food, too. I know. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening.
2: Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.